We have every reason to praise the Lord. Thank you for that reminder. Appreciate that. If you would take your Bibles, uh, open them up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. And we'll be looking at the first chapter, 1 Thessalonians 1. We're going to read it first, the entire chapter. It's only ten verses. But uh, I want you to see it and hear it in full before we look at it in some of its details. So if you would stand with me as we read the Word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You can sit down. Has anybody asked you this question? Did you read the sign? Ever been asked that or asked that? I'm going to ask you that today. When you came to the service today, before you entered the building, did you read the sign? Anybody read the sign? (laughs) Now I'm going to be depressed the rest of the day. We have a new banner for this year over our main entrance. Three words on that banner. Faith, love, Hope. I encourage you every time you enter this building to look up and remind yourself of those three words as we go through this year. That will be the theme of our first series that we begin today, a series of messages. It's a short series, but it begins our year. And uh, it's going to present a challenge to us for 2023 as a church community. 
faith, love, hope. Today I'm just going to introduce the series and do it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So uh, let's pray, and will you promise me when you leave to read the sign? Okay, let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for a, a fresh new year. Thank you that you know exactly what you have planned for this year. You know exactly where we as individuals and as a church family fit into that plan. We believe that and we trust that. Father, I pray that uh, these weeks in this series would prepare us for this year. God, challenge us, encourage us. We look forward to this time in your word. And begin that challenge today, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago in Central Africa, there was a big revival in the churches in that part of uh, the continent. And uh, as the revival went on, people who observed what was happening in these churches came up with a word to describe what they saw and what they heard. And the word was abaka. And that word means people on fire. And so that, that's how this revival of those churches was described. Abaka, people on fire. What in the world does that mean? People on fire. It must be figurative. I mean, it can't be literal. Uh, people on fire. Um, the idea was that there were churches in Central Africa that were on fire. What does it mean when a church is on fire? Don, you and I know, on March 8th, 1982, our church was on fire. You and I were standing out here in the snow, observing our church on fire. Is that what it means? There has to be some figurative meaning there. What do you think it means when someone says, those churches are on fire, or that church is on fire. Anybody want to shout out what you think that means? Fired up. Okay, meaning what? Excited? Uh, okay, uh, excited about talking about God, talking about Jesus. Enthusiastic on fire. Passionate. Okay. Well, I was, I was kind of wondering about the use of that term, you know, on fire, in, in kind of the, the ways that you're saying. And so I asked myself the question, does the Bible ever talk about uh, the idea of being on fire? Uh, so I, I went to the Scriptures to look at all the places where fire was talked about, and of course a lot of times it's literal, uh, 
The word fire is talking about an actual fire in some situation. But then in Scripture, there are a lot of times where uh, the idea of fire is used figuratively. And almost every time the word fire is used figuratively, it pertains to judgment. So if you only used the word fire or on fire, even figuratively, the way it's used in Scripture, when you said that church is on fire, you would mean it's under judgment. Because I really didn't find a place where the Scripture uses that term figuratively to describe what you're talking about. Now, that doesn't make it wrong to, to use it figuratively that way. Um, but let me, let me toss this out to you. In this short four-part series to start our year, we are not going to be challenged to be a church that's on fire. Okay? We're going to be challenged to be a church that is consistently a faith, love, and hope church. You see, the reason I'm saying that is because when churches are on fire, it tends to be a periodic flame up, flaming, and then it cools off for a period of time. And then something happens situationally, and you have this season where a church is on fire. It's just like in your life, right? There are times when if you want to use the word on fire figuratively, you are on fire spiritually. But it's usually just a certain season of your life. Something happened, you know, something took place. And as a response to that, you're on fire for the Lord. And that happens to churches. And those are exciting times, and maybe we need those times. But my experience is mostly with individuals and churches, those times are rather short, and then there's a cooling off for a period of time before the next on-fire experience. And so I'm not going to challenge us to be a church on fire this year. I'm going to challenge us to be a church that is consistently a faith, love, and hope church. And I was challenged in that way by spending time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So today I just want to introduce the series from this chapter to show you how it challenged me. And uh, that will lead into the next three Sundays and how we're going to look at this and be challenged. So uh, you might want to just follow along on your study sheet. Um, I'll basically just be pointing out the things that are there for you. And then you can take this home and uh, go through it again and uh, let God challenge you. First of all, some background to this chapter. Uh, this chapter is uh, beginning a letter that Paul wrote to a, th a church in the city of Thessalonica. Um, Paul had spent some time there. We see that recorded in Acts 17. 
Uh, if you're able to turn there quickly. Uh, Paul's fairly short time in Thessalonica was very effective, very fruitful, but it was also very difficult. Um, the fruitfulness of his time there we see in Acts 17.4, and you can read the first part of the chapter about his time there, but in verse 4 it says, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So even though Paul's fairly short time in the city of Thessalonica um, was difficult, it was fruitful. It was uh, effective. Many people, some Jews, many Greeks, and uh, Paul even mentions many prominent women, uh, came to believe, responded to Paul's ministry, to the gospel. So it was a, a fruitful ministry. It was effective, but it was very difficult. We find that there was a lot of opposition to Paul's ministry and what was happening in the lives of people as a result of his ministry. In fact, it was so difficult, the opposition was so strong, there were riots in the city. And if you read the text, it ends by saying, friends had to help Paul escape the city by night. It had gotten dangerous for Paul. So, fruitful ministry in Thessalonica. Many people came to Christ. They became the Thessalonican church that he's writing to. But it was fairly short and really difficult. Paul had to leave and get out of there. And he went to Berea, the next city, a little ways south. And he ministered there for a very short time because the opposition from Thessalonica followed him down to Berea and caused a stir there, and Paul had to leave Berea. And the reason I mention that is because as Paul moves on then from Berea, the opposition from Thessalonica goes back to Thessalonica and that's where the church is. Paul could escape, but this church of new believers had to live in Thessalonica and continue to experience the opposition and the persecution. And that's the church that he's writing to. Uh, the next thing we learn about background here is that as some time goes by, Paul is really frustrated because he wants to go back to Thessalonica. He wants to get back there, see these people that have responded to his, me his message, the gospel. Because he knows it's hard there. He knows there's opposition. And he cares about those people. They're kind of like his children, you know. He led them to the Lord. And he wants to get back there, but he's frustrated because there continues to be roadblocks to keep him from getting back to Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians, if you go to chapter 2, he describes that, that frustration. Chapter 2, verse 17. He says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, 
Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. So Paul experienced these frustrated desires to get back to Thessalonica and see those people. Because there were these roadblocks. And he says Satan was involved in those roadblocks. So what does he do? Well, the third thing in background to this is that he eventually decides to send his, uh, his partner Timothy up to Thessalonica to check on those people. And so he does that. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, the trials they were going through with the persecution there. For you know quite well that we are destined for them, trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. And so Paul gets good news. Timothy comes back from checking on the church in Thessalonica, and he finds out they're really doing well. In the area of faith, in the area of love, they're standing firm for the Lord. And so Paul is encouraged upon hearing that good news. Now just that little bit of background will help us understand how he starts the letter in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we learn some things about this church, fairly new church, in Thessalonica. And that's all we're going to do this morning. We're just going to learn some things, point out some things about the Thessalonian church. And that's going to lead us into our series in the next three weeks. So, you can just follow along on the sheet. The first thing we learn is that this church welcomed the gospel message. Before they were even a church, these people who became the Thessalonian church welcomed the gospel message when Paul came and presented it. Notice the last part of verse 6. He says, For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Even though it was hard, even though there was pressure to not welcome my message, you welcomed it with joy. You responded to the gospel. So here are people, despite all the pressure 
in their city, with joy, they welcomed the message that Paul brought, the gospel. And they responded. And now they were a church. The second thing we learn is that these people became imitators of Paul and the Lord. Notice the end of verse 5. He says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. These people were so taken by Paul. They were so impressed with how he lived among them, how he treated them, how he communicated with them, how he cared for them, whatever it was, that they wanted to be like him. But they also wanted to be like the Lord Jesus that he talked about that he taught them about. And so in that very short time, the people in this new church desired to be like Paul. They desired to be like Jesus. The third thing that we learn about this church is they became a model to other believers. Verse 7 says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can check it sometime. Uh, when you find Thessalonica, you'll, you'll see that it was in the region of Macedonia, and then the region just south of that would have been Achaia. This was all Greece. And uh, uh, Thess- the Thessalonians lived in Macedonia, and it said, you became a model to believers all over in Macedonia. Uh, Maybe the believers in Philippi. Maybe the believers in Berea. But he says, you, the Thessalonian church, became a model for all those believers in Macedonia. But not only Macedonia, in the region south, Achaia. You as a church became a model for the believers down there in Achaia in the city of Corinth, in the city of Athens. You became a model, an example for those believers. The fourth thing we learn about them is that the Lord's message rang out from this church in Thessalonica. Verse 8. It says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere, even beyond those two regions. The Lord's message has been rung out from you. The word ring out, rang out, it means to... uh, I suppose echo, you know, the idea of uh, something just kind of echoing and uh, going out, you know. Uh, Let me put it this way. This is interesting. Fifty miles southwest of the city of Thessalonica was Mount Olympus. You've probably heard of Mount Olympus. Um, Mountain there, 50 miles from Thessalonica. Those who were worshiping the Greek gods believed that the Greek gods lived at 
Mount Olympus. You've watched the movies. And uh, it was said that the Greek god Zeus, one of the gods who lived there, was so powerful that whenever he just shook his head, and apparently he had a, uh, a head full of curly hair, and whenever Zeus would shake his head, they said, there would be this, this roar, this tremor from Mount Olympus, get this, that echoed throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul says to this church in Thessalonica, the Lord's message echoes out from you through all Macedonia and Achaia and even beyond. Isn't that interesting? They say when Zeus shakes his head, the roar and the tremor from it echoes throughout these regions. Paul says, the Lord's message is echoing out from your church throughout those regions. It rings out your faith, the Lord's message, from you, your church, into all these areas. The next thing he says that we learn about this church in Thessalonica, and this is the one that really grabbed me. He says, others are telling your story. Look at this. End of verse 8. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, your faith, the Lord's message. For they, the people in all those regions, themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying about this church? He's saying, we don't even have to tell people about you. Because the message of the Lord and your faith and the kind of church you are is ringing out through all these regions. And it's like when your name comes up, when your church comes up in a conversation, they tell us about you. We don't have to tell them about the church in Thessalonica. They tell us about you. And what do they tell? They tell about how the time this, this man named Paul came to their city and presented this message, and they responded. And they tell how the Thessalonians turned from idols to serving the living God. And they tell that you are a church that is waiting for the return of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? The 
the message and the faith of this church was echoing out through the regions to the point where it was other people telling their story. Wow. I get this picture of people in Philippi, north of there, another city of Macedonia, sitting around in some restaurant drinking coffee, little cups probably, drinking coffee, and somehow the church of Thessalonica comes up in the conversation. And somebody around the table says, did you hear what's going on there? Did you hear what happened to them? Let me tell you what I've heard. This guy named Paul came there, and he had this message about Jesus calling him the Messiah. And the people in that city responded, and they, they turned from worshiping Zeus and, and these other gods, and, and they're serving this living God now, Jesus. And they're actually waiting for this Jesus to come back someday. And you wouldn't believe the faith they have in this person. They're telling the story. And the same must have been going on in Athens and in Corinth and in Berea. These places in Achaia and Macedonia. Paul says, we don't even have to say anything. They tell us your story. You have impacted your world as a church. The message of God is ringing out from you. They know about your faith everywhere. They know about your love everywhere. They know about your hope everywhere. And they tell us about it. The final thing that Paul mentions about this church, it's actually the first thing I saved for last. The sixth thing, verses 2 and 3. He says to these people in this church, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father three things. Your work produced by faith, underline faith, your labor motivated by love, underline love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, underline hope. Paul says, we thank God for you as a church when we remember your faith and your love and your hope and what comes out of those three things. This was a faith, love, hope church. The Thessalonian church. They were known for their faith in Jesus. They were known for their love for people. 
And they were known for the hope they had in Jesus and his return that kept them going under persecution, kept them going under opposition. They were known for those things. People talked about it. That's what people talked about when the subject of the Thessalonian church came up. Friends, that's going to be our challenge in the next three weeks and for this year. That we be a faith, love, and hope church. Yeah, we may go through some seasons this year, some short periods of time where because something happened, because God did something, because of some situation, we could say we're a church on fire. But that's not what I'm challenging us to be. I'm challenging us to be a consistent, not now and then, but a consistent faith, love, and hope church. You see, when when people talk about us on the Iron Range or beyond, I'm not going to be satisfied that they just refer to us as the E-Free Church of Embarrass. I mean, what does that tell you? Nothing. I'm not going to be satisfied if they refer to us as the Chocolate Chip Church. As cool as that is, that's not enough. I'm not even going to be satisfied if they say something about a time they remember when we as a church were really on fire for the Lord. My desire is that when our church family comes up in a conversation on the Iron Range or beyond, that people begin to talk about something that has to do with our faith in Jesus Christ and how we live that faith. Something to do with our love for people and how we live out that love for people. And something that has to do with our hope in Jesus and his return that allows us to walk through difficulties and affliction in a totally different way. That's what I want them to talk about. I want them when our church comes up in a conversation to tell our story. A story that involves faith and love and hope. And so, um, in the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what that might look like. What does a faith, love, hope church look like? And so each of the next three Sundays, we're going to focus on one of those. So next week, we're going to talk about being a faith church. What what does it look like? That phrase, work produced by faith. What does that look like? What's he talking about? And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the next phrase. 
labor motivated by love. What is that? What does that look like? And then we'll finish with the third phrase. Endurance inspired by hope. What does that look like if it's happening in a church? What does that look like? So that's where we're going. And the Thessalonian church of chapter 1 will be our model, our example. Um, One other question that I'm going to be looking to find the answer to by the end of January is... Will you be on board? How many of us will be on board? Because we cannot be a faith, love, hope church if you aren't a faith, hope, love person. And I'm not saying a person that's on fire maybe twice a year. I'm talking about a person who is consistently living a faith, Love, hope, life. And if enough of us are living that kind of life, we will be that kind of church because we are the church, right? So I'm going to be looking for, by the end of the month, how many are on board with being this kind of church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you for just laying out this example for us um, of the Thessalonian church. Lord, we know and we'll be talking about it. They weren't perfect. But Father, they were known as a church of faith, of love, and hope to the point where other people told their story. Oh, Lord, may we be that kind of church. May we be that kind of people. And, Father, use the next three weeks to just challenge us weekly. Help us to see what this looks like, what you want us to be. For your glory and for the ringing out of the message of Jesus on the Iron Range. In his name we pray. Amen.